I did it outside Charing Cross Hospital. It got seen by like five million people. Wow. Got messages from a nurse inside saying, thank you so much for coming to Charing Cross yesterday. At the time I was in there treating a woman who would go on to lose her fight with COVID-19. Mm. When I heard this music, I was bawling crying, mm. but it gave me such a sense of peace. Welcome, everybody. This is Simon Gilbert with Inspired. Inspired is all about telling, uh, well, just inspiring stuff. You know, hopefully it'll do what it says on the tin. There's so much bad news. We're bombarded him day by day. And uh, the fruitfulness of this podcast is, is down and reflective of how people want to hear good news stories of overcoming faith, of, of authentic faith and the nitty gritty of life. And uh, some of it is more lighthearted than others. I'm quite sure this, this week's going to be a lot of fun because I've got my old mate, Pat Allison, with us. Welcome, Pat. Thank you, Sai. Great to be with you. Yeah, it is great to be with you. I hope you can last the hour because at the time of recording, uh, Pat's wife, Kirsty, is due to give birth tomorrow. So we're hoping that's going to last. In terms of introduction to Pat, I first met Pat at university. Well, he was at university. I'm six years old. I'm 49. Pat's 43. Uh, it was a, he was a student at Edinburgh, so that was 20 years ago. And uh, mutual friends there. It was what was it? Mary Kate Lyle and uh, Gideon Reeves and that old vintage. And yes. uh, I came up preaching there, doing stuff with you guys as these on fire young students. And uh, then you came out to Burundi, I think, in about 2007. Uh, we've tracked a lot. I've come and preached at your church uh, uh, a few times. And for you guys that don't know about him, listen, I'm just going to have a bit of fun at his expense here. So this is from the. <laughs> This is from the Daily Mail, the Mail Online. I just just dredged it up from the the internet. Uh, The title is God's Gift to the Women of Notting Hill, the old Etonian vicar on wheels whose mobile services and film style looks have made him a social media hit. Try to imagine, the writer says, a typical vicar, and you won't call to mind anyone like the Reverend Pat Allerton. For a start, there are the undeniable good looks and the on-trend wardrobe. Few men of the cloth (laughs) team their dog collar with black jeans, a bomber jacket, and Nike Air Max trainers. Throw in an old Etonian dash and a dash of schoolboy rebellion and a wariness of church. I find them quite claustrophobic at times, he quotes. And it's clear 41-year-olds, it's two years out of eight, 41-year-old Reverend Pat, as he likes to be known, is an unconventional clergyman. All right, one more. This is Tatler Magazine. and Two years is, out of date, that is, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Tatler Magazine, the real-life hot priest, Pat Allerton, on his engagement. Uh, all right, so it says, the vicar of Notting Hill, uh, Pat Allison rose to fame at the height of lockdown as he took to the streets of London, spreading the gospel from the residential Portobello roads right through to hospitals and prisons across the capital. Allison play, prayed for the nation alongside the hymn Amazing Grace, which he blasted via portable speakers. The result was victorious, and he fast became a symbol of hope and love, along with a rather long list of female admirers. Last week, he announced, announced his engagement. So this is, again, this is probably 18 months out of date, uh, to South African girlfriend Kirsten. Turnbull as a much-loved and prominent figure of the Christian community. Friends joked that there were dark glasses across the land and that Allerton was far less portable now. Now, guys, well, I don't know, Pat, whether you're rolling your eyes, whether you're going red, whether you're deeply embarrassed, or whether you're lapping it up. I suspect you're lapping it up. And my, you know, my dad talks of uh, substances. Do these people have substance? So that's all very superficial and external. Pat, show us your substance. How are you doing? <laughs> Thanks very much, Sai, for that introduction. Um, goodness, I think the more that stuff is left on online on the internet, the better. But um, hey, it is—it's all you know. Um, all, however, the Lord wants to use us. We're there to be deployed, aren't we? And um, I hope there's some substance there. That's why we're in this game. Um, that's why we we do what we do. Um, and yeah, you cannot control. The media, that's been a learning over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. um, or indeed their headlines. So, um, yeah, we must just uh, keep doing what we're doing. But um, thank you for reminding me of those uh, of those moments. Yeah, well, listen, we'll come to media stuff later. But, you know, go on, give us your backstory. Family, context, coming to faith, how was that? Yeah, um, well, I didn't, yeah, grow up in a Christian home at all. Uh, there was no... Uh, faith whatsoever in my family, actually. Um, I barely even remember going to church uh, in my early years. I think we must have gone to Sunday school because subsequently my Sunday school teacher had to phone up and track down 
my birth certificate, I think, at some point, or, or christening certificate, and she remembered me and the family. So it obviously went along a bit, but I can't remember anything. There was no faith, there was no religion. It wasn't that we were antagonistic, it just didn't come up. It was irrelevant uh, until I was sort of 17, 18, you know, and I was just getting on with the normal things of life, um, messing about, being uh, naughty here and there at school, was at boarding school, as you've mentioned from the article, from the age of seven. So I was just trying to survive that and thrive as best I could. But religion and faith was just, I don't know, it was irrelevant. Even though I sang in choirs, I was sort of a choir boy from the age of seven through to 14 when I gave it up because um, it was it was definitely not cool enough yes. um, to be doing that <laughs> and to be seen by one's friends. So I didn't have any questions of faith or God or I wasn't against anyone's faith, but just like, it was like, well, you know, it, it just didn't register. But then started having the big questions of life, like, well, what, what are we doing here? Where do we come from? What happens when we die? What's the point of life? Like, just working for exams and grades to get a job, to get money, to have a family and spend that money and then retire and then die? Is that it, you know? Mm. And these questions sort of unsettled me and began my search, prompted my search towards um, faith and philosophy and religion. And I looked into everything and I was reading about lots and I'd turn things up on the radio now, whereas I used to turn it off if the topic came up. And my great friend Dave was a Christian, um, Dave Case Hollowworth, and he began taking me to Christian Union at school. He took me to church in London to HDB and a couple of... Uh, of that Onslow Square and um, Brompton Road. And as I went there and I went, heard these talks in different places, I'd be like, this is making sense. This is answering the questions I've got. It's almost like, you know, those moments where you think the preacher is speaking just to you. Yeah. I was having a lot of those moments. And I was like, wow, I think there's something here. At the same time as still pursuing other things to satisfy and fill me up, you know, whatever it might have been, you know, messing about with my mates at the time. Um, but Dave eventually asked me on a Stewards Trust camp in the Easter holidays, just before my A-levels. And it was there that I guess life changed forever because um, I saw in these kids something I knew I didn't have, a, a joy in their face, a light in their demeanor, a radiance. And I was like, what have they got? And I sort of knew like, they've somehow got God, but I don't know why I don't have it. But the third night there, I heard a talk on the evidence for the resurrection, you know, the tomb being empty, where was Jesus? And as this speaker, Richard Penniston, actually, um, he's now a vicar, um, was explaining this, it was like God was opening my eyes and the veil was being lifted and I, the penny was dropping that, oh my gosh, I think this is actually true. I think Jesus is alive. And if it is true, it means I can know him. And that excited me. And so I left that talk and I went back to my room that night and excitedly, well, I sort of read the Bible for a bit, which I'd never done before, but then I prayed a prayer seemingly to the ceiling mm -hmm. saying, God, I think you're there, but I don't know you yet, but I want to, you know, come into my life whatever I need to turn from, you know, I knew there were a few things, you know, a bit of drink, a bit of drugs, a bit of this, that, that I was filling that hole within me with. I was like, Lord, you can have that stuff if I just get you. And I felt so vulnerable and so exposed because I kind of knew if nothing happens now, I don't know how to offer more of myself. I don't know how to search harder mm -hmm. than I've been searching. But in that moment, wow, the Holy Spirit filled me, the love of God, and joy and peace just filled my inner being. Like I was mm. sort of overwhelmed lying in this bed and I was on sort of cloud nine and I was like, wow, I'd found what I was looking for or I'd been found by the one who was looking for me. And, uh, you know, um, that's a sort of long story short. And I went next door and woke up Dave at sort of 1230 at night and Dave, Dave, Dave he's like, yeah, I think I've just become a Christian. And oh, gone, he must have loved that's, that. That's, yeah, he did love it for like about, 10 seconds and then was like well let, let's talk about it in the morning <laughs> yeah yeah no he was he was thrilled but uh it was yeah that's where everything changed for me and that's the foundation really for why i do what i do today yeah so was there a dramatic change the next morning did people notice a difference was it more the same 
I, it was a dramatic change. You know, I think because, I don't know, when you feel that, you know, why do people go to clubs and, you know, take drugs and get high? And it's because they want to be in a good space. They want to be able to open up to people safely and feel secure in their inner space, in their inner world to really connect. And when, you've, when you encounter the love of God, which for me, that was better than any high, what happened. Like mm-hmm. knowing God has filled me, I feel full, I feel s- satisfied, I feel secure. It enabled me to just let the, let the walls down and just be open and be kind and be gentle and loving of people and not worry what you get back or if you get rejected or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I was just beaming. You know, I was like the next day, yeah, one of the lads who was in my sort of, we had our own rooms, but we were part of a sort of house dormitory sort of team or Bible study group that reflected each day on how things were going. And he was like, Pat, what has happened to you? It's like, it's like you're a light bulb. And, and that's how I felt, you know. I mean, Jesus is the light of the world. And when he comes into our lives, he says, you are the light of the world. Mm. And I felt totally different, you know. Um, I, in that moment, a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity and angst got just driven out. Perfect love drives out fear. And yeah. uh, I, I felt like a different person. I, I, I was a different person. You know, I was just a new creation yeah. version of me, a new creation at the time. Yeah. So back to school next term and, you know, totally stuck in. Or I mean, my story was, wasn't was that dissimilar. It was, it was also a way on house party and camp. And then, but I did come back to school and I did sort of um, carry on doing the booze run on Friday night, whilst on Saturday night, whilst running the, help running the Christian Union on a Friday night. And then, you know, doing a bit of drugs on the side as well. So it, was there a clear cut, right? This is a radically new transformed version or was there a compromise to be battled with? Um, I think, I, I think to begin, you know, I was pretty good, pretty on, on track initially. Um, I remember like, you know, for me, my last, well, at school, um, you know, weed was quite a big thing, smoking weed with my mates and playing a lot of sport and doing obviously work you've got to do, but then doing that on the side and just having fun. And that's what me and my best friend John in my house used to do, you know, um, regularly during the week and so we came back to school and he came knocking and like saying oh let's go for a we used to call it a pook let's go for a pook uh, a poop and or I, a poke a pook p-o-o-k <laughs> yeah a pookie, okay. a pook. um or a reefer you know let's go <laughs> and i was like i remember the first time basically like saying no you know i just i don't want to do that and basically sharing my testimony in quite a clunky wooden way and I'm <laughs> I remember he was sitting down next to me and explained to him like John I'm not I don't want to do that because I've just had this experience John and I, what I've discovered John is everything I've ever been looking for and John what I've realized is God is real and he loves you John and he wants to make and all I remember is this strange look in his eyes and then him saying like stop calling me John <laughs> Or like, why are you calling me John so much? And it yeah. was a bit weird. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry, John. Um, but, You've got a bit better uh, sharing your faith, actually. Doing that. But also, you know, there was a, there's a separation when you leave things behind. You, you, that's why it's costly. And Jesus says, look, count the costs before mm. you come and follow me because mm. it's got to work out if you've got what it takes. And there is a separation from like, okay, well, if a lot of my friendships were based around that particular activity then it means i might those relationships might be strained or stretched or even lost yeah. if you stop doing that activity so it was a short term though so it came i think the lord is mercy i was i, I mean hey, it's so tough to be a christian at school i'm glad being you know, grateful in many ways the lord only called me when it when i was 18 um because it, it's tough and so i only had sort of seven weeks back at school before exams That's or something scary. yeah to survive and then it was a fresh start you know moving on from there Hmm. um to make new friends and yeah and did you go on a gap yard or did you go straight to edinburgh i yeah so dave had uh was thinking gap years and talking with friends and again god's mercy and god's use of dave because 
friends, my other friends are sort of going to South America. And so you can imagine the sort of gap year experience that South America brings. Mm. Um, and I might well have gone back to my old ways, you know, or, you know, moved away from, or not gone deeper in the faith. But as it was, Dave gripped the situation and me and downloaded the forms and said, right, we're going to South Africa. We're going to Cape Town to do a, a DTS, a discipleship training school with YWAM, Youth of the Mission. Yeah. And I was like, well, that sounds okay. All right, let's do that. So he signed us up for that. So we went off and we were missionaries, you know, for um, six months. I mean, three months lecture phase and learning in Cape Town on the beach, which wasn't too bad. And then mm -hmm. two and a half months in Madagascar for me. So like steep learning curve in this new life where there's so much to learn. And I'm so grateful for that foundation. Mm. Any key Amazing. God experiences then or lessons? I just loved this, just learning how much truth there is in scripture and coming, you know, getting to grips with this totally, it's a radical change, like a new creation, like, like you said, and just stepping out into it and finding community. And I'd never known community or never been part of a church and never known this depth of friendship that was possible. Um, mm. And so I just loved being part of this community that was of all ages and backgrounds and nations in Cape Town. And then, yeah, I'm sure there were, what were there? I mean, lots of, you know, doing my first preach, you know, that came on, on my gap year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, preaching for far too long. It's, it's just a habit I haven't quite managed to cut out, but <laughs> <laughs> with a translator, so twice the length even. Oh dear, that's out of your misery. So talking about community, so you then you, you get to Edinburgh and clearly you found, because I, I'm, that's where I met you and you were in a great bunch of people. So you found community there and yes. uh, got stuck in. You had peroxide blonde hair. You remember yes, that? Yes, I did. I used to be, I used to feel so sort of restrained culturally submitting to the moors of Burundi that in those early years, every summer I came back for two months. First day, I peroxide blonded my hair and uh, wore the crazy. Did shirt. you? Yes, that was just me loading up the steam. Anyway, talk. Tell yeah. us about the, the sort of salient moments of uh, Edinburgh years. Um, yeah, went up to Edinburgh to study theology, which I'd chosen during this searching time at, at school. When I was all I was thinking about was God and questions of God and existence and. Um, Yes, I thought I might as well look in, you know, make that my course up at uni. So I studied theology, made some some great friends up there, you know, just got stuck in up there. It's funny because I felt often like you see in church circles, kids who've grown up as Christians in Christian homes, often their university years are the years they go prodigal mm. and they go sort of AWOL and walk out the door um, and into the world and then, you know, sort of cliche come back uh in the early 20s or mid 20s when i was going the other way and sort of like i was trying to walk in the door and into the church during my university years and you see people going the other way. so i sort of got stuck in you know church wise and you know my closest friends i've always believed like look if you're going to live this life that is at odds with the world um that is costly then your foundational friendships need to be those who share the same worldview, those who share our faith. Yeah. Um, because when the proverbial hits the fan, they're the ones we can rely on and who won't run because at least we're facing the same direction. Yeah. So I like made a whole bunch of new friends um, and just got, went about, you know, different things. Um, so yeah, it was great time you know university years um yeah. you know ups and downs it wasn't I, I'm, I don't want anyone to think you know i was spotless or whiter than white i occasionally had a sort of blowout and you know um got stuff there was stuff from my system there was always stuff i think that will pull at each one of us that's the enemy knows our weakness yeah and there were one or two moments where i gave in to that weakness and was like, right, I've got to get this out. my says, you know, and, and then needed to repent of it later. But, yeah. um, so, but on the whole, it was a, you know, a great experience and um, learned a lot, hopefully grew a bit. Um, 
Yeah. And yeah, four years out there. Mm. I hark back to university days. I mean, other names are coming back, like Wendy Rolt and Lou Kenny. I mean, you just had a great crop of people, didn't you? And and God was at work and seeing your friends come to faith. And I I, I love yeah. I love university years for having so much concentrated time in, in which to see many mates come to know Jesus, be it on the course, be it in the nightclub, be it wherever. Um, so mm. moving on, what, what happened next? I came down to London and got a job with HDB. I was and did some student pastoring. Mm-hmm. Um, for a year, which was great. Just to, like, I mean, I could have got going then. Like, in that moment when I came to faith at 18 and was just, you know, I guess my heart came alive. Um, and I was filled with God's love and light. I just wanted to share it, you know. It's the natural uh, overflowing desire within me. It was like, I just want to tell people about this, which is, I guess, fundamentally where I got my calling from day one. Like, uh, I just want to, tell people, AKA, I just want to be a preacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be an evangelist. Um, I want to be Billy Grant. You know, it's the only Christian name I knew at the time. <laughs> yeah. I had that desire. So I left you and it was like, well, let's go and explore it, you know, by working for church. That's sort of where you do this stuff. So I worked for HDB for a year and I could have got going, I think, but a lot of advice, certainly at that time was, look, go and do something else first if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, because you'll get life experience and then it'll make you a more effective minister. I saw the wisdom in that. Plus my mum, who was at that time sort of very anti the faith and felt I'd been sort of grabbed by a, a cult, cult when, yeah. I, when I was at my weakest. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it's not quite like that, mum. But she was very keen for me to be a barrister. So she'd like to be a barrister, barrister, barrister. And then Nikki Gumbel and Sandy Miller had obviously both been barristers and a lot of vicars seem to have been barristers. So I was like, oh, well, maybe I should be a barrister. So I went and did a law conversion course after that. And, you know, Nicky was a great hero of mine. I was kind of like, yeah, I can be a barrister for a bit and then I can leave. And, you know, when I'm preaching, I, I can say, like, I used to be a barrister for many years. <laughs> now I can be like, <laughs> like Nicky. Um, but at the end of my law conversion course, which I didn't do very well on, and, you know, it was like my heart really wasn't in, I felt the Lord sort of say, Pat, you don't have to be Nicky. Um, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not calling you to this. So I, I left the law um, after that conversion course and actually went back and did a year at Eton doing sort of youth work, really. Oh, yes. Wanted to come alongside teenagers and just be there, be available to them. And so I enjoyed it. It was kind of a funny year, but I enjoyed it. Like a lot of great relationships formed mm-hmm. and good ministry done and friendships I've still got now. So did that year and then um, oh, still wanted to just get a job, a normal job and do some late nights, some early mornings, you know, pull on a suit, feel the pressures of yeah. corporate life. Mm. So I managed to get a job in financial PR, which um, I can confidently say I was pretty useless at. Was that with Mark Harris at Finsbury? With Mark, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Mark. So he was one of the big dogs and... Um, I mean, I, you know, I did the job effectively and I, you know, I had my moments, but uh, I just, uh, you know, it doesn't stick to me, that sort of knowledge that if you imagine we wear Velcro suits and things you're passionate about, that that knowledge sticks to you like Velcro balls. Yeah. I don't seem to have the economic or financial world Velcro suit. You know, those balls just bounce right off me. So um, I was... Pretty rubbish. So after a year and a half, I was like, right, let's just crack on with ministry, basically. Mm. I think we're quite similar um, on that level because I, I likewise, you know, I wanted to get a normal job to taste the pressures of what most people go through, mm. but also knowing yeah. there was a, there's a call to be enacted on on being, yeah, an out and out share of the gospel. So that that yeah, you felt then released to just go flat out for it, did you? Yeah, yeah. I, so it's weird when you're going into something knowing you're going to give it up because you're meant to, you're called to something else. So I left that after a year and a half and went to Bible school, actually, where you went, I think. Yeah, Cornell. Cornell um, training scheme. So very similar sort of um, trajectory in some ways. So I did a year there before ordination training at St. Melitus um, for two years after that. Mm-hmm. So that took us up to getting ordained, took me to 2010. And then God ordained in 2010. 
and then curacy, and then um, unlike, <clears throat> I think it was tough, wasn't it? Planting St. Well, not planting, but joining St. Peter's wasn't easy because I know a lot of the HDB uh, guys are sort of sent out, aren't they, with a whole load of backing, be it financial and people. And and you didn't, you did what you did somehow, you did, missed out on that model. And you, you had to put in a lot of hard yards, didn't you? With I know with a bunch of residual good people, but lots of challenges in the mix, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I went, um, I did a graft from HDB to St. Dionys in Parsons Green, where, so I went with 50 pals and young bucks to sort of join in there and launch an evening service and get stuck in for three and a half years there. So I did that model there in a graft format, mm -hmm. joining Tim and the team. But it was when I moved on from there that I just applied for this job that came up in Notting Hill. <laughs> and I always thought like, well, Notting Hill's quite a nice area, you know, fun. <laughs> and I'd always, I'd had that weirdly 10 years before I'd driven around the area. And I remember whispering a prayer. I, weird that I remember it, but whispering a prayer. I mean, it was a sunny day and the sun was on the colourful cottages on Portobello Road. And I remember just saying, Lord, do you have any ministry that needs doing around here? Oh, um, <laughs> interesting. It was sort of half serious, but... Yeah. Obviously he did because I just applied for the job and managed somehow to get it and then came here with, yeah, and only came with one friend. So one friend uh, joined me, Chris, faithful Chris East, um, and got stuck in here. Yeah, and it was, so it's a very different experience to what a lot of my peers and friends were having mm. of sort of planting into an empty building or um, just going with, a small army and just hitting the ground running mm. here. It was like having to sort of try and build you know, consensus and coalition. And, you know, I did my best at that, but I, I, yeah, ultimately I think if people don't want the flavor of vanilla that you're not flavor of ice cream, you're selling, you know, it's, uh, there's not much you can do and you, you can only be yourself. And, um, I think it, it for many it, it was you know I, I want the church to be about mission and looking out and growing and um, bringing people you know I believe in salvation I believe in heaven and hell and yeah. you know this stuff and it comes out in my preaching and and that's quite a strong flavour of ice cream yeah. for for some who'd been here and what they'd been used to I think so very decent people lovely people but. For many, I think it, it proved just a bit much, and yeah. And but they saw it. They saw the they saw the growth and new people coming, and they're like, "Look, this is great, and this needs to happen." It's just not quite my to mix my metaphor, not quite my cup of tea, yeah. you know. So some left, you know, and some there was it was a bit more. You know, there has been opposition. There has been some tricky stuff, but when you feel called to something, I always liken it to and you know for lots of your listeners so i am you know will no doubt know this and whatever they're in it's like whatever the lord calls us to it, it doesn't mean it's going to be a bed of roses and it can often be opposition but i always was struck by when god speaks to i think it's to both ezekiel and isaiah at different points he basically says i'm gonna hey i'm sending you to your own people so this isn't even opposition from outsiders but Mm. I'm sending it to my people, Israel, and they will oppose you, but I will give you a forehead of flint and even actually of the hardest rock. Mm. And you'll be able to basically just take it, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, even though you get it in the face. And it's felt a bit like that. Like there are times I'm like, gosh, I, this is just, uh, why am I doing this? But you, you, God gives you what you need to, to stand your ground, basically. Yeah. And you've done really well, I know, putting those hard yards and... Uh, well, it's like you came and preached and, for instance, just let the hearer, let your listener be aware, like, who will be pe people who love you, know you, are fans of your work and know your style. We love your preaching, you know, and it's right and it's bang on, but it's challenging. Yeah. But the f you've come, you've preached a couple of times, the first time you preached... Yeah, there, there were emails, you know, there was, <laughs> there were responses, and all helping sort of um, people realize what 
sort of flavor of ice cream we're talking about which, but, which incidentally you asked me to come in didn't you and and address things quite f- full on and that sermon <laughs> um, don't blame me yeah, <laughs> that sermon funny enough i think i i called it the satanic lullaby um yes. I, I, I ended up um i think that's been heard by thousands of people on 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 um on youtube or wherever because it it was an uncompromising assessment of culture and us being salt and light and what that looks like. And that is going to, that is absolutely going to polarize people. And we are going to talk about culture stuff. Uh, one of the most listened to podcasts I've done is with a guy who I, th- I think you probably were at the school at the same time, Dom Muir. And the reason yeah, why my was, great friend, Dom, yeah, yeah, well, the reason why it's so listened to is that Dom is so unapologetic i called the podcast modern day elijah and he's so clear thinking and expressing and 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 willing to call things out as they are and that is that is very unpalatable and it's you you can't be a a coward if you're gonna speak the honest undiluted truth in a culture which is so post-christian and so fundamentally illiberal when it comes to moving away from the modern day orthodoxies hey I tell you what we're going to get to that uh, tell you what, I, but i would also it's i'll put that uh, sermon link in the blurb because i think it's it's worth it for people to listen to the satanic lullaby it came from the story uh, the um this is an iranian woman a couple who got out of iran to the promised land america and they're in america and after a few months the woman says to her husband darling please take me back to iran there's a satanic lullaby in this nation. All the Christians are asleep, and I feel myself being lulled to sleep. And that's such a powerful picture, isn't it? Because, mm. because mm. she was saying, I'd rather go back to the overt persecution, the threat of imprisonment and torture and rape in Evin prison in Iran. I'd rather go back to that than, than face the insidious sleepiness of that satanic lullaby in which so many people have been taken out. And she said, all Christians are, are asleep. And that's definitely not true, but a lot have fallen asleep by the, the insidiousness of that satanic lullaby. And we need to live wide awake. And I love it that you're in Notting Hill, which is a, you know known for its sort of metropolitan elite and, and uh, liberalism and all that. And you, mm. you're just... You're just keeping that you're holding the line and i know that's that's been costly to you so i salute you for that bro any any comments on or lessons learned through you know the, the challenges of, of just holding the line i think just yeah one lesson is realizing if the lord's in something um he really does he really is lord as in what i mean is he's in in control he's in charge you know he's over the game and like if you imagine a game of chess there'd be times where i'd be like you're looking at a very difficult move and situation like you've got to make a difficult choice like mm. oh my gosh i don't know what to do and your fingers hovering over a piece like yeah. a pawn or a or a bishop you know to use the right analogy mm. or a knight or you know and like oh where should i go and like if you're feeling like i've got to do this or this person you know it's tricky or, you know, we've got to switch things up, but you don't know how to handle it. Like, Lord, please give wisdom help. And the finger's hovering about to move it. Mm. And then suddenly it moves by itself or not by itself because you're like, oh my gosh, you know, the Lord has solved that situation, that HR issue, that, that person, you know, they've changed role or they've moved out of this position or whatever it might be. It's, it's seeing, God is moving the chess pieces, you know, and he's putting, setting things up how he wants them. And, and as well as drawing people to you, to your cause or your mission or whatever it might be in life, he'll give you the resources you need. He'll draw the personnel, the teammates you need to come alongside. And that's where my, I guess the biggest learning of the last five years, um, is seeing his faithfulness and provision and just, you know, just realizing, gosh, he, he's got access to much more resource than we do. Yeah. And if we do trust in him and ask him for his help, he will give us what we need. It might not be exactly what we want or what we would choose, but you realize, ah, that actually works really well. And I hadn't thought of doing it that way, Mm. but um, yeah, it's exciting when you realize you're partnering with him. You're not on your own asking him if he could, you know, occasionally help out. It's like, no, he's, he's leading things and mm. you're in his sort of slipstream. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's good. Well, long may it continue. Hey, folks, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm loving the response we're getting from across the world. It's, it's just wonderful to see how encouraging and inspiring it is being and hitting the spot. Listen, if you are being blessed by it, I'd love it. Basically, this happens under the auspices of our ministry, Great Lakes Outreach, which works in the poorest and the hungriest country in the world, which is Burundi. We're having an incredible impact in the toughest of circumstances. We want to carry on supporting those local folks doing a great job. So if you wanted to, greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired you could make a donation there i'd so appreciate it also it's word of mouth isn't it so gossip this these podcasts to other people get them to subscribe give us a great review absolutely wonderful so grateful to you so that's greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired if you want to do a monthly a couple of quid a month or, or a one-off donation we'd be incredibly grateful all right now let's get back to the podcast So lockdown kicks in and we're all stuck at home and you're an extreme extrovert and you're <laughs> single at that stage and you're an evangelist at heart. And so what happened? Um, what happened? Yeah, uh, we had to close churches. You know, the government had said, and understandably, we couldn't gather for worship, but then even beyond that, the Church of England said, okay, vicars aren't even allowed in their buildings, you know, to even record a service, which caused a bit of um, a ruckus. But mm. I just knew, like, we were locking up church, I think, for the final time, like, coming out of it, coming onto the pavement and realizing we're not going to gather this week. And we, who knows when we'll gather again. And I just remember the thought dropping into my head, like, what if, what if I went to the streets with a, a speaker and played a hymn and led a prayer? like a mini church service yeah. um, just in my parish, just to say, look guys, you're not alone. You know, God is real. He's, he's the good shepherd. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, which is what we're walking through right now. Yeah. Here's a hymn. Listen to this piece of music. It's beautiful or sing along or, you know, anyway, I hope it won't offend you too much, but just bring us together. Come to your windows, your doorways, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And I'll then lead us in a prayer. You know, we can keep silence for people in the NHS and, people who are grieving, people who are sick, we can pray for them in our hearts. Or just, if you don't believe in God, that's fine. Just lift them up in your thoughts. Yeah. So the idea came to me to just, what if I headed to the streets and did that? And I was like, oh, yeah, that could work. And I love doing things. I just think the church is called to get outside its four walls mm -hmm. and to make a splash creatively in the arts, in the media, whatever we can do just to show the world that, the, the church is alive and carry the message that Jesus is alive. So this was like in line with, I mean, I've done, done other things on Parliament Square, like big prayer gatherings and worship times and got the Bible read over a whole year, daily readings done each day and the whole Bible read over Parliament from Parliament. You know, so I love doing things outside mm. anyway. So it was right in line with sort of, I think, things God's called me to in the past. I was like, yeah, that could work. So <laughs> about sort of planning it and my housemate, Chris, at the time, you know, we came and one day, when lockdown properly kicked in, you know, pretty much the next day we came and raided the church for some speakers for the kit and headed off to the Portobello Road. And then it's like, gosh, we need a hymn. Hang on, which one? And I sort of knew immediately, like, it needs to be Amazing Grace because, mm -hmm. you know, it, we couldn't just do, you know, the lion and the lamb or something, a modern song that the, no one would know. You need to do something that yeah. Christians and non-Christians like and feel like, yeah, that's at the very least a beautiful piece of music and stumbled on this amazing recording by Judy Collins. Hmm. And long story short, you know, did it the first time, sort of said, you know, afternoon people at Portobello Road, you know, my name's Pat, I'm a vicar in the church, and I'm your local vicar, in fact. And saw faces appearing at windows, doorways, and said, look, this is what we're going to do. I hope that's okay. It'll be over. In, but, you know, the pain will be over in five minutes, so don't worry. Mm. But if you want to join in, you can. And just gave a little message of hope, like, look, we're not alone. You know, God loves you. Jesus is alive, and he's the good shepherd. So then led us in this mini service and didn't quite know how people would respond, but was very encouraged by the response. You know, people did seem to embrace it and get something from it. And yeah. 
they said, please come back. So I did. But then I just set about like going from street to street, just saying, okay, we can do this more. It seems to be more than that. It was just like God's presence was there. It just felt like his hand was on it. Yeah. And just went on to do it, you know, 64 times in all, you know, in different places around London and on a bike. So it was my daily form of exercise because, you know, complaints did come in like mainly from clergy other vicars <laughs> you know cool. saying why is why is he doing this why are you writing to poor bishop graham like why are you allowing him to do this and then oh, well, i think it's quite a good witness you know i think he should be able to do it you know but, but having to play within the rules so hey let's get a bike and do it as your daily exercise and that hmm. so yeah this sort of thing happened and i just went and did did it and yeah, weirdly, sort of, I guess the media didn't have much else to, to write about at the time. And so um, they noticed this and they're like, oh, what's that weird priest doing? That's going to speak to him. So it got a bit of media attention, which is interesting. Mm. I mean, quite a lot of media attention, didn't it? And was that when you were labeled the, who labeled you the portable priest? Well, I was, I'd already set up the Portobello priest um, okay. a year or so before because the Portobello Road. I'm in my office having this chat with you. And it's the hall is on the Portobello Road, so <laughs> I was like, "Ah, oh, well, let's, I'll be the Portobello priest, you know, and communicate with the parish through that account and say what we're up to and blah blah blah." But actually, it was a, sort of—I think it was a sovereign God moving the chess pieces moment. Mm. To um, go back to that, that this journalist from the Associated Press did an interview with me and found out the story and wrote up the article. And quite without my permission, renamed me the Portable Priest. <laughs> and when I saw it, I was like, no, I'm the Portobello Priest. And I got in touch and said, look, I'm the Portobello. <laughs> You've got this wrong. And she's like, I, I thought it was a good name. So I've gone, sorry, I've gone with that. And uh, it's a bit late now. It's gone out to sort of 15,000 media outlets. So I was like, <laughs> oh. So... I think it was, God's hand was in it, because it was like, yeah. well, that was what I, I was suddenly portable. And it was like, oh, that works much better. And it had gone beyond the parish at yeah. that point, you know. Yeah. And so it's just a, a funny old time. Um, any, any, any great stories out of that, particularly? I mean, just, I think the, mess, just the messages I received from a lot of people on, and probably got hundreds, you know, um, through those 10 weeks, particularly um, when I was going out. But people who I love messages that would come in that would say things like, I'm not religious, but, mm. and then go on to say, this has really warmed me. You know, I'm here with tears in my eyes. I mean, there was one recording. I did it outside Charing Cross Hospital because a friend said, you need to go to the hospitals. And I was like, yes. So I went and did it outside Charing Cross and these buildings are so big and impregnable. You think, can anyone hear anything? Mm. But got messages from a nurse inside saying, thank you so much for coming to Charing Cross yesterday. At the time I was in there treating a woman, an uh, elderly lady who would go on to lose her fight with COVID-19. Mm. When I heard this music, I was bawling, crying. Mm. Um, but it gave me such a sense of peace. Um, so thank you, something like that. But this other person filmed it from her house. All they could do, all they could see was the hospital. They couldn't see me or where it was coming from. And they just put on Facebook, like, heavenly music over Charing Cross Hospital. Yeah. And to her 180 friends. But that video went sort of viral. And I don't just mean, I mean, I think there's Christian viral and then there's viral. I mean, there's stuff that goes around in our Christian bubble. Yeah. that we get excited about, but doesn't get out beyond the echo chamber of the church. But then there's stuff that does sometimes go a bit more viral. And this thing went sort of more viral and it got seen by like 5 million people. Wow. But reading the comments there of people like, what is this? This is so moving. Like I'm in tears here. Mm. Like, no, I'm not crying. You're crying. You yeah. know, just throughout doing it, my point being, I just think God met people where they were at. Like we might not be seeing, and we're not seeing vast amounts at this stage, crossing the thresholds, coming to church, necessarily doing Alpha or whatever it might be. But I think there are, there are thousands, millions of hungry people out there who will consume stuff, 
privately on their phones in the safety of their own sitting room or where we go to them. And it was evidenced by people saying, look, I'm not a Christian, but I heard you do this and it really moved me. Yeah. And I felt this strange, you know, a woman got sent down to basically shut me up by her husband who was on a conference call at the time. She said, I came down to find you to ask you to be quiet or turn it down a bit. But in the end, I just found myself on the doorstep with tears in my eyes mm. and warmth in my heart, you know, and just, I don't know what seeds were sown. And we'll never really, we'll never fully know anything that we give ourselves to for the Lord yeah. um, until heaven. But yeah. I think God was touching people or his presence was definitely at work. Yeah. Um, Oh, mate, so well done. And you know what? I'm just kicking myself that, you know, I have a, one of those woofers and I've, I've gone out and done street stuff, but I didn't own lockdown. I should have just copied you and they should have been on every, every you know, town in the country. We should have been out there doing it because the church, I don't know, some, some did well, but the church in general, capital C, didn't do so well during lockdown in terms of reaching out in the communities, I feel. Listen, mm. um, we're running out of time, uh, but what I love that came out of that was obviously you got on the media's radar and I've seen you a number of times on uh, Sunday morning TV being the, being the Christian that's wheeled on to give commentary. And what I love is that you, I'm not going to blow smoke out your backside, but, but you, you do it so well in terms of the sometimes quite normal questions that you always manage to slip in a serious <laughs> gospel answer. So I'm even quoting that, that Tatler magazine uh, where you ask you know, a question that you manage to bring in the gospel. It's like, um, ask how it feels being engaged as a vicar. Allerton says, it's incredible to think that our love for one another and our marriage is just a picture of how much Jesus loves his bride, the church. And, uh, you know, great answer. And, you know, always, uh, you know, you, you post those clips on Facebook you, of, of your, mm. your slots and you seize those opportunities and you're very good at it. And we need, we need followers of Jesus in the media, don't we? Yeah. Well, that's my view is like, you know, we don't need Christian, we, you know, we don't need celebrities. And I, I, it's surreal to me to get these opportunities. You know, I've always grieved that there's not more of a Christian voice mm. in the world, in the media, that we're so sidelined. And so I think the Lord's obviously over the years has seen that heart and my longing to, look, I'll speak to a room with 10 people in it, or, I'll, you know, happily about the gospel and about Jesus, or I'll speak on a platform with 10 million people on it. You know, I don't, it, yeah. in a sense, it shouldn't matter to us. And that, I think, I hope the Lord's, always see my heart which is why these strange doors are opening but i don't see it as like it's not opening i don't want to use it for me or for my platform i just want to use it to say something of eternal value and worth yeah because i don't know if the opportunity will come again mm. i'm not trying to build a brand here i'm just gonna take say yes to any opportunity because there's always ways to get the gospel in everything is about god and about jesus so, you know, um, every stream leads to the great river of Christ. And so it just, they give you the stories before and the newspaper items they want you to look at. And with a bit of thought, there's always a way to smuggle it. I call it smuggling in the gospel <laughs> and, and say something that might touch someone yeah. who's never heard it. Because all I know is at the moment, the media is friendly and, you know, I, there seems to be a, a bit of favor on it. But I'm well aware. Tomorrow, yeah, it feels like Daniel in the lion's den. Tomorrow, the lions might actually open their mouths and tear me to pieces. And we've got to be ready for that as Christians. So it's just take every opportunity. You know, um, I mean, the gospel, New Testament calls us to it, doesn't it? It says, you know, be wise for the days are evil. You know, yeah. just take every opportunity. And so that's that's what I seek to do until they work me out and realize that this guy's just using us to. Um, preach the gospel but um nobody tell them mm. and hopefully it might continue well if this goes viral viral your secret will be out so we'll, we'll try to keep it under wraps <laughs> mate um time has has come to an end um anything we've missed and in, under that question it would be um you just come out with a book tell us about that ah uh, yeah um so yeah the back of this and through this um some publishers got in touch and thankfully you know they all wanted a book on hope but as i explained like yeah i can talk about hope i'll talk about god and jesus and sort of that saw off penguin and a couple of others <laughs> like you're not interested in that 
but one stayed true, which I'm so grateful for. And so I've managed to bring out a, a book. It's called A Pocket Full of Hope. Mm-hmm. And it's really written for my, I guess, lots of my friends and my family who don't know Jesus. It's written for people who, it's a very gentle introduction to the idea, concepts of faith, looking at 50 issues of human life we all face, like anxiety, grief, forgiveness, success, vulnerability, authenticity, whatever it might be, reflections, meditations, you know, a bit of scripture in there, but it talks about the common ground we all have, but then it just shares that this is the difference faith and knowing God, knowing Jesus can make to how you view those issues and how you live out life facing those issues. So I really hope that it will get into hands. I really hope that it will become one of the go-to books that Christians give to their non-Christian friends. Yes, we need that, those. That's my heart with it. Because I don't think there are many out there mm. that ha- have the right voice and the right tone yeah. and are gentle enough. I think we can produce things that stay within the Christian bubble, but I'm, this is going to be sold in Waterstones. This is, yeah. I hope, just going to be, Lord, bless it, you know, hopefully a blessing to, to draw many people, to help them realize, hmm, I'd never thought of it like that. Yeah. You know, um, so hopefully it can be a blessing, a sort of pre-alpha uh, book to give yeah. to your friends who may be nowhere spiritually or might be somewhere, but they don't yet uh, understand um, Christ. Yeah, well, that is, I think, a very needed book. I'm, you know, I'm thinking, what shall I give to someone? That is, that is brilliant. So it's a pocket full of hope. It's a seismic week or month in the life of Patrick Allerton because uh, <laughs> at the time of recording, as we said at the start, he is due to become a dad tomorrow. So by the time we listen to this, he will be a dad. And this book is coming out, uh, is it next week? Uh, so we wish you, we wish uh, Kirsty and Baba uh, all the best in the coming chapter and uh, it's funny you said uh, before we pressed the button to go live you said you're tired now well uh, I guess you'll be a bit more tired when you when you listen to this live but dude <laughs> cheering you on cheering the folk of uh, St. Peter's Notting Hill cheering the gospel work going on there cheering all your stuff in the media and made this book for God's glory have a massive impact and uh, Pat thanks so much for being on Inspired Mm, thanks so much Si God bless you bro brilliant mate well listen folks I hope you've enjoyed it love it how week by week we get people from such different sort of journeys and and vantage points and yet the commonality of you know it's not always easy uh, but uh, Jesus is worth everything and being creative and what that looks like so if you've enjoyed it which i presume you have if you've been inspired please uh, help us out by giving us a great review on spotify or itunes uh, we'll put pat's details in the blurb and if you're in touch with me it's simongilbo.com or any of the social media uh, platforms and i want to thank adam thomas steer for the editing and mike sandiman for the mixing we've got another fantastic guest next week so uh, gossip these podcasts and uh, i'll see you again looking forward to that in the meantime take care and toodaloo